Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Giant Bomb Presents. I am joined today by Alex Navarro. I don't think you need to present me to the audience. The audience? I, I think they might basically be familiar with my work. Okay, well, there's someone else here though, oh. who they, they should be introduced you to. You didn't tell me that part. Uh, no, I well, you know, I felt like it should be a surprise to us all. Okay. Except for me, who booked the interview, so that's not really... <laughs> Mike Drucker is here. Hello. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, you you may have heard of him. Yeah. Uh, and he's also on the site today with a, a new piece on growing up, wishing that VR were the real thing that it was pitched to us in all of our favorite bad 90s movies. <laughs> uh, so welcome to the site. Thank you so much for for uh, joining us. I have to tell you, I literally just got out of a VR demo. We, we have a Vive in the office right now. And uh, I'm actually having like some body awareness issues. <laughs> Is that a good thing? I don't know. My head's a little floaty at the moment. Yeah, like things feel like I keep. Here's the thing. I expect things to not have the feeling of things. Materiality. I, yeah. I keep worrying I'm going to step on a cable, even though I'm sitting down. So are you are you ready to be a VR person? I'm 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 ready for it. I mean, I um I kickstarted an Oculus Rift a couple of years ago. So, I'm actually getting the $600 one basically for having spent $300 a few years ago. Wise investment, clearly. <laughs> well, I'm hoping. We'll find out. Yeah, so who are you now saying the vibe is better? And I'm like, I, I don't know if I can put eleven hundred dollars into VR right now. I definitely can't. But it's cool. Like and some of the games we just played were, were pretty solid, I think. Um, yeah, they're demos. But yeah, yeah, yeah they were all yeah. demos. They're all short little things. Uh, but but I, you know, I don't know. I can't. I've done both now. And I can't really differentiate them in a meaningful way quite yet. Other than one of them costs three hundred dollars more or whatever. Right. Two hundred dollars more. Well, one of them has portal. The other doesn't. Oh, true. One of them has portal. Right. Hmm. That's worth three hundred bucks. Yeah. So, yeah. Mike, what's your history with video games? Um, I've always, and I know everyone always says they always love video games, but <laughs> video games was what I wanted to do with my life originally. Instead and, of what you're doing now. Right. When I was a kid, I thought I was going to become a computer programmer, and what I found out was I'm just really, really bad at computer programming. Same. Yeah, that was, there was a moment in high school with me where I, got, I failed a math test, and it was like, you know, I, I think I had an experience a lot of people had as, as a kid, which was like, oh, I was pretty good in elementary school. Like, I was very good, and I didn't really apply myself at all, and I got to high school, and yeah. it was a bigger pool of people, and they all knew how to like, learn things. I did not. And so I failed an algebra test and just cried and just like, <laughs> oh. At, like, oh, I can't make video games. I need math. I'm bad. It turns out I'm bad at math. Mike, yeah. where, where did you hit your wall? I hit algebra 1A and that was kind of where I was done. Um, I went to a magnet school that offered some technology programs. So Ooh. it was supposed to be like, OK, well, you know, offer this stuff and it can get it can kickstart your career. And so we had like a computer lab that was supposed to have a C++ class and our teacher just didn't show up half the time. <sighs> And but those computers definitely did run on real tournament and Quake Three. <laughs> <laughs> That's a form of learning. Yeah, you're doing research. So like most of my high school memories, and what's what's funny is like I was supposed to, I in my head I was going to this you know magnet school to learn how to make video games, and instead I just played like you know King of Fighters and you know every emulated game on the planet. Unreal Tournament, like it was a great school to go for loving video games. I just never learned how to make video games. That's I think that that's the thing that a lot of us can can relate to. Uh, yeah. So what happened? What happened after that? Tell us lay out the story of Mike Drucker. Um, mm -hmm. After that, I went to NYU because I was like, OK, well, I still want to I want to make things. So I thought I'd become a writer or like a book editor. Sure. Um, so I went to NYU and majored in English. And eventually I started doing stand up comedy. And from there I got um, I also happened to Internet Saturday Night Live. And from there I worked as an assistant. 
I started writing jokes for Weekend Update and getting a bunch of jokes onto Weekend Update, but they didn't have time. Like, I was basically not experienced enough to become a writer, but I also felt like I was doing better than an assistant. Mm. And I was sort of in this position where I was like, well, I feel like I have to make a move. I don't know if I have the patience to like wait a few years, um, which would probably have been the wise thing. Right, like pay your dues, get paid right. nothing, even though you're doing super good work, and then eventually get in. Exactly. But I didn't have that patience at the time. So I, a friend of mine who, was, who used to be a stand-up comedian was working at Nintendo in the localization department. And he was like, hey, they want more people who can write comedy. They just want to like, you know, they want to sort of vary up their voice a little bit. Okay. Um, and this was maybe 2009 or 2010. And so he's like, do you want to apply to be a localization writer? I was like, yeah, it's Nintendo. Of course I want to be at Nintendo. Finally, this wrap back around. I didn't have to learn algebra at all. Yeah, exactly. I could just make words. <laughs> um. <laughs> Which is the best. (laughs) So what were some of the things that you were tasked with localizing at Nintendo? I was, I worked on Mario Party 9, which was, uh, is actually a lot of fun to work on from the localization side, because you're just making up puns to name minigames. Can we just call that Mike Drucker's Mario Party 9 from now on? Mike Drucker's Mario Party 9. Okay. It's a good year, good vintage. I'm going to see if I can add it to the wiki, uh, alias for the site (laughs) for the game is Mike Drucker's Mario Party 9. Um... Um, so I localized that and that was a lot of fun. And I also worked on Kid Icarus Uprising, which had two trans, like I was sort of the secondary lead. There was a much more experienced, uh, uh, localizer who was sort of like the lead. And then I was the secondary. So like, were you doing punch up? Like, what's this look like as the comedian they brought in for their localization efforts? Um, it's, it's, I mean, really localization writer is almost a bit of a misnomer. You're doing almost everything on a project Mm. outside of making the game. So like, you're also working with marketing. So they understand what the product is. You know, because you're on the American side, you and your translator are the people who have the most time with the game. That's a really important distinction you just made, too, right? It's like you were a localizer who also had a translator on staff. Like that's not – localization isn't just like straight, brute uh, translation. No, it's taking those straight translations and and massaging them into something that sounds natural for the the language you are working in. Right. Right, exactly. And, you know, a lot of that – and it's not just like – you know, a lot of people think it's just, oh, you're fixing up grammar or you're making the word order make sense. And it's not just that. It's like, you know, we would run into things where my translator would be like, okay, this guy's speaking with like an accent in Japanese that makes him sound tough right. or like maybe like cowardly. So we, you know, find a way to make him sound that way. Um, so it's actually, it's like a team effort. You guys, you know, you sort of become best friends with your translator. Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like in a movie where someone's just following you around quietly translating. <laughs> right. Um, you guys are a team. But, you know, so that said, you're also talking to the marketing division. You're, you know, working with the people making the box art. Like, you know, your job is sort of to be the knowledge brain about the game in America, at least at Nintendo at the time I work there. You know, things change, obviously, with companies. Um, So with a game like Kid Icarus, it's such a a dialogue-heavy game. Uh, yeah, they're like people for Nintendo. People just talking constantly, talking constantly. Kid Icarus. So, so it was a lot of uh, you know me and you know both translators and both writers would like go over the script. We'd punch it up. We'd see how to make it funnier. You know, we'd go back and forth with Japan. Um, and it's also you know it, again at least when I was there. I don't obviously speak for Nintendo now, but when I was there, it was it's also a team effort with the developer. You know, right. like we'd make a decision and they. A lot of people in Japan speak English, so they'd be like, oh, why did you make this choice? Or, okay, we like this. Or, you know, we're not sure if this enemy name represents what we were hoping for. Right. Um, That's really interesting. We don't normally get that part of the localization process talked about, that there is, of course, back and forth with the original developer. 
Yeah. I mean, it's because I think that the image people have in their heads is like, you know, it's 1985 and we're, you know, <laughs> we're buying the rights to an anime and we're just dubbing whatever we want over the lip flaps. Right, right. And it's not that at all. That would be know? a fun job to have separately or right, like a right. fun goof thing to do. But right. I'm glad we've moved past that as a business standard. Right. So it's definitely, again, at least when I was there for the projects I worked on, very collaborative. And, you know, it, and it was fun. It was cool. Like, it was cool. Like, emailing, you know, you're, you almost lose sight of the fact that, like, every day you were, like, emailing Nintendo of Japan and being like, hey, good morning. Here's what we did today. <laughs> right. Here's um, the company that you've, you've grown up, like, playing all of their games and right. dreaming one day you would work for. That's really cool. But you're not there anymore. I'm not there anymore. Um, I left uh, after two years, and I left on really good terms. I really, it's a, I should say it's an amazing company to work for. Um, it's funny because, like, you know, before you worked for a game company, you hear about, like, layoffs and companies that are, like, you know, making people never see their families. And I never had that at Nintendo. They were such a cool place to be. In fact, I was asked to write for the ESPN ESPY Awards, which would be a week off. And they were like, uh, sure, go for it. Like, it'll come out of your time off. But, you know, as sure. long as you can catch up, go for it. You, you weren't, like, forced to not do outside stuff. Right, exactly. Cool. You know, and again, like, it's, and, and it's not like they were like, you know, please leave. They weren't kicking me out the door, but they were like, yeah, sure, of course. We're a supportive. They were such a supportive company. That's right. Um, so now you and, are back in comedy full time. Yeah. So, so then I went to IGN to do a comedy video. So I did something called Up at Noon right. uh, with Greg Miller, who's since gone to Kind of Funny. So we did that for about a year. And, and that was a lot of fun. It was like a video game talk show. And in the middle of that, I happened to do the Montreal Comedy Festival as a new face, which is supposed to be like the you're one of the new fa- guests and new faces of comedy. And that got me noticed by the people at then it was late night with Jimmy Fallon. And they were like, hey, do you want to come write for us? So then I moved back to New York and wrote for them. Welcome back to New York. Thank you. That's, it's good to have you it's back. It's been a few city. years now. It's been a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you liking that? I like it a lot. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's funny, like. You know, at iGen, we were putting together like a video game, like a half hour video game talk show in a week. And now I help put together an hour long talk show every day. <laughs> it's, a so, big, it's a big thing. It's funny because yeah. Jimmy does do some some video game stuff pretty often, yeah. actually, there. How is, how is that? Like, how was that something that how I guess how early were you in on on that show? And was that always a, a thing that that the team was interested in doing? Um, well, I was in so late night with Jimmy Fallon lasted, I think, four or five years. And I was there just the last year. Okay. But I knew that he was a video game fan. And I knew that was part of the appeal of hiring me. Right. At the time was they wanted, because, you know, it's easy when you're in video games to say, like, everybody's funny and everyone likes video games. But there's a lot of people who, you know, their video game knowledge stops when they're 18. Right. Um, Not because they even hate video games now. Just like, they got busy. Yeah. Yeah. They they got busy. It's, you know, nothing against it. But I knew he was a video game fan and I knew he was a Zelda fan. So and Gavin, the producer over there, too, right? Sorry? Gavin, who's the, yeah, I believe, sorry, the producer. Yeah. He was a big video game player as well. Yeah. Um, but I knew that he was a Zelda fan, so when I went in, I wore a Spirit Tracks hoodie for my interview. <laughs> game in so, the system. Yeah. Um, so. That's a deep cut, though. Like, you basically heard that that he was a, you heard Zelda fan. Most people at that point were like, I'll wear an Ocarina of Time hoodie, or I'll wear, yeah. like, a Link to the Past hoodie. You went deep. Yeah, I went deep in it. Well, because I also, you know... It was also what I owned, so I don't have a great excuse. Right, I fair. I own a Spirit Track City. Fair. That's like hearing like he's way into a band, and you went with like, a, <laughs> a, you heard he was into the Smiths, and you showed up with a William is it's really nothing T-shirt right. on. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly, um, yeah. So I was in. You know, they knew I liked games. So you know, I've I've definitely like they did like an app a few years ago when the Tonight Show started, and they did something called Jimmy Quest, which is like a small like sort of play off the old Sierra Adventure mm-hmm. games. 
and I helped, you know, like polish that for them. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So, but now you are still there, but, yeah. but you're also writing for us about video games. And the first thing you wrote was about VR and right. the dream of VR. The broken promises of old VR. <laughs> Lawnmower man. <laughs> right. The virtual boy. All, all the great hits of the 90s VR. Right. How's it, how's it feel to have it wrap back around? Like, it's, it's here again. Uh, it's, you know, it's very, it's weird. Because it, it's almost, I think, you know, especially after things like, you know, the virtual boy, I think people are just like, oh, this isn't going to happen. Right. You know, um, and it was such a big promise. It's weird because it was also in the 90s. As big of a promise as it sounds right now, it's not 10th as big as it was in the 90s. Like, if you guys remember, there were, like, all these news segments. And the way they made it sound, and I talk about this in the in the article, is that they made it sound like you would, if not literally, at least in some sort of figurative way, you'd be sucked into the system. Mm-hmm. And it would change the way you see everything. It's funny because I still feel like that tone bubbles up sometimes not yeah. from the developers themselves right but from like the most mainstream news coverage or it's also wrapped up in like the fears around vr of like yeah. you're gonna lose yourself in there forever <laughs> you know it's not like this is going to free us and we're all going to be our best and brightest selves so much as like you know the matrix so you just jack into the matrix it's gonna be yeah. terrible and you're gonna have knowledge downloaded into your brain it turns out not so much it turns out yeah. it's gonna be like goofy games and probably vr porn here's a lot of here's a lot of uh, arena mode shooters right. that, that you can just here's your new light gun games that's actually like the most like the scariest outcome right and like that's we right. just finished a bunch of vr demos and we we're just kind of like oh what are the different things that are just on this system and yeah. then, you know a handful of them are these really funny quirky things that were the ones that valve is pushing but then we hit like two or three in a row that were just like wave-based arena shooters that didn't feel good and were kind of like hastily thrown together and it's just right. gonna be that it's gonna be a lot of cruff for a long time Oh, of course. And I mean, the weird thing is one of the things that impressed me the most, you know, looking at, you know, because I bought like one of those like Viewmaster VR viewers, you know, the one basically Google Cardboard. Right, right. And I remember like going to Street View and just going to my like the street of my childhood home and like looking around being like, oh, this is really cool. I like this. You know, like almost like in the 90s, the promise was like this, like this, like you're going to you're going to have sex Uh and it's going to be this weird cyber sex and you're going to disappear and you're going to visit the pyramids. And like now it's almost like, oh, I can like see a place I used to hang out. Right. Here's here's the (laughs) Seinfeld set. Walk around, you know, Right. exactly. You know, like there's almost, um, you know, or like I'm excited for, you know, I have one of the Oculus dev kits, the old, old Oculus dev kits. One of the things I loved was the movie theater app where you could load in a movie file and feel like you were sitting in a movie theater. Right. I'm really excited for someone to cut that Mad Men carousel scene with oh, VR yeah. of pictures of, of Don Draper's home movies in VR. Right. And then Harry Crane gets up in, in tears and rips his, his Oculus off and <laughs> runs out the door. But that's like, I think that's like what, that is almost one of the cool things about VR that nobody ever explored is almost the mundane quality of mm-hmm. it. Like, I mean, I keep saying this, and I, I think I'm probably the only person on the planet who says it, but, like, I'm really excited that the Vive has default, like, phone support in it, because yeah. I, I want to take calls in VR. That's yeah. that's the thing that is, that's, like, the most real part of it to me, is, like, in, integrating it into your daily workflow. I say that, of course, again, like, I'm not getting a Vive anytime soon, but, right. like, when it does finally hit a thing that most people can afford and if it does hit that that part like the way it's going to just be in our daily lives the way we're going to use it for social media the way right. we'll end up using it if again if it hits the way the way they say it will uh using it for these daily tasks like when i am i gonna pay, pay bills in vr eventually right. am i gonna be like 
scrambling to transfer money from the one account that has some money into it into the other account when I know there's already a, a check that's about to clear on that other account and oh my god how did I do this and I like click with the Vive controller and just drag across the screen <laughs> yeah but it's just like a lot of cubes and weird <laughs> right, like visual right. effects that make no sense at yes. all that, right. that, that's the coolest thing are we going to get to skin our entire web experience based around what we want in that way I just want to do swordfish style hacking yeah. that's it one day. Well, that's what, and that's what the 90s was. The 90s was all of that, like, like you're going to fly through space and you're going to touch, yeah, you're going to touch a cube and it shows up and then, like, you're like, that sounds like a lot of work. Right. There's a little bit, the thing is, what I'm interested in is the people who figure out the ways in which things that are not physical can be a little bit more uh, productive or, or, like, easy to use because they don't actually have phys- physicality, right? Like, so we were doing this, um, this demo just now that was a tilt brush, which is like the Google drawing app. Yeah. Uh, for for VR, um, and the palette is this like cube that you spin around and like push buttons on, and it turns out like that's way easier than having a bunch of real palettes with real paint and things on them. Also, you can paint with fire, so like you can't do that in real life, I guess. Right. Um, but but yeah, that, that stuff seems like it, it's gonna. That stuff seems like it's gonna work, and I'm I'm really curious if that's going to be enough, or if the people who are in our age bracket are going to want to fly among the pyramids and fuck. Right. I I think that, and here's the thing: is I know people are always like, oh, like there's porn sites that are doing VR porn. And that's, you know, cool for what it is. My fear is, and this is a very adult fear versus when you're a child and you're willing to put up with anything. Um, but my fear as an adult is the convenience of it. Mm-hmm. You know, my fear is like, because when I've used the dev kit that I have, it's always been like awesome. But, it, you know, you have to set it up. Yeah. You have to make space on your table. I'm in a New York apartment, so I don't have a lot of space. And it's going to be like, am I going to in five months be, after getting the Oculus be like, ah, you know what? It's just easier to turn on my television. Right. Um, it's like you know the I mean? we it's the we problem again, right? Which is like, yeah. let me just sit down and play a game instead right. of needing to flail around, right? Right. You know, or like you know, it, it also like I'm I'm also worried that it might be like one of those things where you show your friends it then just becomes like a boondoggle that you use once in a while. And I know that there will be cool games for it. I you know, game developers can do everything and will do everything. I just don't want it to become like again, like you said, like a tech demo, right? That's this is where we're at with this, right? Is yeah. is who knows? It's who knows? All of the potential. So, what do you think the potential for comedy in VR is? Um, do you think that's, I, or do you think it's like a stupid question? Like, it's comedy. We'll figure it out. Um, you know, I've always liked the idea of something like you know, three D performance spaces. I mean, the thing about stand up is, you know, at least from me doing it, and it's something that can sort of be done anywhere. Mm. Like, you know, when I'm when I do streaming, I'm trying to tell jokes. You know, so I can imagine something like that. I just don't know. Also, like, there's a lot of little things about comedy that require specific physical movement. Yeah, like, like it can't just be your avatar on a stage, right? Reading, you know, delivering material. I need right. to see what your expression is. You know, and part of the reason that Portal is, you know, the comedy in Portal works kind of the way it does is because it's a robot, so you don't expect any humanity. So a lot of the humor comes from the humanity getting pulled out of, you know, Glados, right? Versus, like, if you just have, like, a man on stage who might be well-rendered but not perfectly rendered, you're then on the other side of Uncanny Valley where it's sort of like, oh, uh, it's just some weird actor. You know, sort of like when they had comedy clubs in GTA 4. Yes. Those were amazing comedians that they paid to do it. But you also watch it and you're like, this is weird. Right, like, someone did a really weird job mocapping Cat Williams, like – power walking across this stage like someone right. put a couple of weird puppet strings on a mannequin <laughs> and then attached a speaker to it and stand-up comedy was coming out of that mannequin <laughs> yes right so you know i'm certain there can be funny experiences but as far as like a virtual reality comedy club that's something that in my head i'm like that would be amazing i would love that but there's also the part of me that's like 
I don't know if it's going to just seem like a, a cheesy novelty that people, you know, you know, second life for like three weeks. Uh, right. Do you think, do you think that we have this? So I feel like the, the very, we're having the very adult conversation, which is like, actually, there are a lot of complications here. Like, oh, that'd be really cool. But actually, that seems really difficult. Do you think that like 12 year old us right now, all of us who are out there, like the, the 12 year old versions of us now. Right. Understand that? Or do you think that they're now saying like, we're going to fly through the pyramids? I think I think it's both. I think I think you know, and I think I'm gonna like get my Oculus. I'm gonna play with it and be like, "This is the coolest thing ever." I think it's both. I think also twelve year old us, you know. I think when you're also twelve, you forget how little attention you. You're a little less aware of your attention span. Because mm-hmm. I remember being twelve and getting the Virtual Boy and being like, "Oh man, I played Mario Tennis for hours and days." But looking back, I probably played it like eight times. Right. <laughs> right. You know, but just my idea of of how much I enjoyed it's different. Um, I don't know. And there's also like the thing where the warnings are now for 12 and up. So I don't know if you're sort of capping the wonder at a certain point. Right. Um, which is, I understand a medical thing. Like I don't blame Sony for being careful. I don't know though. I just, I just don't know. I'm really curious to see how this all shakes out. And yeah. I'm glad to have your, your, it, it was interesting. It was like, uh, Alex described your piece as almost a, a, what did you say? It was like, not a walking tour, but like a, well, a walking tour of your technological shame. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, and, and I really think it's our technological shame in some yeah. ways. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, I never got into the, the VR stuff at that age, but there are definitely any number of other, you know, sort of my age demographic targeted devices and things that I begged for over the years and, and saved up for that I really wish I had not done that with. And I think that piece, irrespective of your thoughts on VR, I think it does a good job of capturing that sort of like childlike wonder and then just soul-crushing disappointment that yeah. comes along with it. <laughs> there was one of those like, aimed at children PDAs that were just like a calendar and like, and like it had a basketball, like tiger (laughs) electronics game in it. Mm -hmm. I was like, mom, you don't understand. This This is is important. This is important. This is going to change my life. It's only 90 bucks. Like I'm going to save up. If you can kick in like half, this is going to be on, on time for all my classes. I'm like, that's not a thing that I was not, I was always on time to all my classes. It was the sort of school I was at. You're just in a classroom. You're basically promising a thing that's already on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Two, um, it has a calculator. I can add things up. Uh, that's very, and I can take notes when I have notes. It has a keyboard, and she was like, "All right, I'll give you forty bucks. You bring, you bring. You do the rest. You do the rest." Uh, kids, kids yep. convince themselves of things. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, I'm very excited me. that you're on the site. I'm very excited to uh, continue seeing what what you do in in general, not just for us. Uh, tell us real quick where can uh, where else can we find you outside of the giant bomb universe? Um, you can find me uh, at Mike Drucker on Twitter. Um, I'm also Good tweets. on Twitch. Uh, on Twitch, it's just my name, Mike Drucker. Um, you can also, I have a podcast called How to Be a Person. Alex has actually been on it. I have. It's nice. a good podcast. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Talk to you later.